to see you guys. My name is Ann Hansen. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be here with you guys on John's birthday. Yay! Yay, he is 47 years old, guys. The man of my youth is now 47 years old. Um, <laughs> The, uh, my son, Toby, he texted me this week because um, after John's dad passed away, I think it was like 11 or 12 years ago, he started calling himself Old Man Hansen, just saying that now he's the Old Man Hansen. And, um, and then Toby texted, the, texted me this week saying, wow, he really is Old Man Hansen. <laughs> I'm like, shut the front door. I'm only six months younger than you. Okay. So anyway, in honor of John's birthday, I thought I would roast him. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> But I will follow up on something that John said a couple weeks ago. He was talking about a bidet and how he just triumphantly uh, figured out how to install the electrical outlet so that, you know, he could provide a bidet for me. But the truth is, John also wanted this bidet, right? Um, and if you guys don't know what a bidet is, it's like a, like a shower without taking a shower. So anyway... Um, <laughs> And, you know, when you get older, the, these are the things that dreams are made of. So. so all you young kids, you'll stop dreaming about crop tops. You'll start dreaming about bidets. Okay. So anyway, um, yeah. So John was sharing this story of how he figured out how to drill this uh, two by four sideways and, and getting it through so that he could install the bidet for us. But what he didn't share with you guys is that like a week after that happened, we were getting ready to go to bed and our entire um, t bathroom area was flooded and there was just so much water. And so what had happened was our bidet was leaking. Oh, I guess I, you know, our bidet was leaking. And John was like, okay, this is what he forgot. One of these. And it's, if you can look on this, it's a rubber washer. He forgot to install this little 25 cent rubber washer. But this was the critical piece for keeping our bidet from flooding all over the place. And, and that's, sometimes what our spiritual lives are like, right? We have the electrical outlet and we've got everything between me, us and God. It's just flowing. The electricity is flowing, but we forget one of these. And this is like community, right? This is what keeps us together. This is what keeps us, uh, this is what keeps our faith working, right? But some of us are missing this key piece tonight. So I want to talk about jumping into community. And so um, I want to share from Mark 2 so you guys can turn to Mark 2. Any of you have your vintage Bible tonight? <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is what James, uh, our pastor James calls it a vintage Bible because he's like 20 something. Okay. So, uh, but if you turn into your Bibles to Mark 2, I'm going to be sharing. There's a story within a story. So there's two stories here that are being told, but I'm going to focus on the minor uh, characters of the story, but we are going to read the whole thing starting from Mark 2, chapter 1. And so it says this, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. So soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. 
They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus and seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who are sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this. Okay, so... We have this story from the book of Mark and Jesus was in Galilee. So he was in Capernaum. He went to Galilee. Then he went back to Capernaum and news about Jesus is just spreading like wildfire. I mean, he's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. Um, In Mark one, it says that he was just preaching in the synagogue and then demons were manifesting like, Jesus, what are you doing? Ah!" You know, because there was so much power in what he was doing. And people are saying, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. And news is spreading like wildfire. Um, And so in Mark 2, he's back in Capernaum and he's healing the sick and doing all the things. And like with every story, I just want to like set the record straight. Jesus is the ultimate hero right? He is the ultimate hero. And, and that I agree with that, but I do want to say, and he does, he heals a man spiritually and he heals a man physically. But I do want to say that to me, these four men are like the unsung heroes or like the pre-heroes to Jesus, the ultimate hero. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about these four men. The scripture says that these four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And so um, I want to just pause right there. And because we're going to say his name so much, I just want to call him Joe. Is that okay with you? Okay, we're going to call the paralyzed man Joe, okay? So um, here's Joe and here are these uh, four men, but we don't know why these four men are connected to Joe, but it's clear that they're all friends. They're all friends, right? They love Joe so much, they carried him on a mat all the way to Jesus. And who knows how many miles they went? Who knows? But it's kind of like this. You know who your real friends are on moving day, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's so true, right? That's why I don't help people move. No, I'm just kidding. But (laughs) it's rough. Moving day is rough, but you know who your real friends are when they show up to carry boxes for you on moving day. And these four guys are with Joe and carrying him for maybe miles and miles to Jesus. And so these guys are tried and true, right? Aren't these guys awesome already? Just for the fact that they did this, right? Just for the fact that they carried Joe for miles and miles, right? But how did these four men even become friends with Joe in the first place? Don't you just kind of wonder that, right? Because you know how it is. Joe is paralyzed, right? And most of us, we feel awkward around people with disabilities, right? We don't know how to act. We feel a little uncomfortable. So we just pretend that they're invisible, right? And and we just ignore them. You know, we just look beyond them, right? And John's dad was paralyzed from the waist down. 
Some of you probably know that, but um, when he was 13, he caught polio and it left him paralyzed from here on down. And uh, his name was Jack Hansen and he was so creative, so thoughtful, so smart. Uh, he went to Iowa State undergrad. He went to Columbia University for his, um, his uh, MBA. Then he went to George Washington University for his law degree. I mean, he's a very, very intelligent guy. But even Jack found it very hard to be seen and accepted because of his disability. And that's like now, you know? Um, but I love these guys so much because they saw this paralyzed man and they saw his value. They saw Joe. And this paralyzed guy is not just the paralyzed guy. It's Joe, their buddy. Yes. You know, they see his value and they want the best for their buddy, Joe, right? And so they're, friends, they're doing what they do. Friends do what they do. They're thinking, how, how can we get Joe the best that he can possibly have? You know, we've heard of this guy named Jesus. Maybe we need to figure out how to get this guy to Jesus, you know, because maybe Jesus, once, once Jesus sees Joe, he's gonna love him as much as we do, right? He's gonna work one of those miracles and he's gonna get him off this mat. We just know it. We just know this is what Jesus is gonna do if we could just get Joe to that Jesus guy. And so they banded together and they decide we're gonna get Joe to Jesus. And faith is rising, right? Because these guys are so faith-filled. We know it. We know it, Joe. We just got to get you over there. And Joe's like, okay, I'll go. Let's go, right? Carry me. So they go <laughs> and they're walking, walking, walking. And finally get, they get to the place and boom, what a disappointment. They get there and they can't even bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. They can't even get near the door because of all the people. How disappointing, how disappointing. And if those guys had stopped right there, anyone would have said they're still such amazing friends, right? If those four men right then said, listen, Joe, we tried, our plan didn't work, so sorry. Man, we really wanted you, you to get into Jesus, but we just couldn't make it happen. Sorry, sorry, Joe. Everyone would have said, wow, what, what great guys. They're, they're great friends. But these guys are next level friends. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're next level friends. They, they would not be deterred, right? They're saying, no, Joe is going to get to Jesus. It's not a matter of if, but how, right? How are we going to get Joe to Jesus, right? And so they start scheming a, a different plan. They start getting creative. They start thinking. And, and I could just imagine them thinking to themselves, you know, what if we just push through the crowds? And then someone's saying, no, Joe's going to get hurt. We can't do that. You know, what if, we, what if we start screaming outside the house? <laughs> right? And they're like, no, they probably won't hear us. Right? What if we, uh, you know, what if we wait till Jesus is done and then we'll just uh, wait here until he's, he's done and we'll catch him on the way out? No, what if, no, we're going to miss our opportunity. And then they think, what if we go up the stairs on the side of the house, cut through the roof, lower him down and put him right in front of Jesus? Boom, that's gonna work. Let's do it, all right? So these guys, whether they're the four stooges or the four most brilliant people in the world, they just decide to carry Joe all the way up through the stairs and onto the roof. And it says this in Mark 2, 4, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. 
And I know it's hard to picture because in our world, like our roofs are so, you know, like watertight. It's very hard to understand what their roofs would be like. But archaeologists have let us know what roofs look like back in Jesus's day. And so roofs back then were made of long tree poles. And then the next layer on top of that were like palm fronds and other branches and brush. And then on top of that uh, was clay and dirt and things like that. So there were like three layers. So you could easily actually pull off part of the roof without destroying the whole roof. So here's a picture of what it might look like. And this is a neat and tidy picture because you don't see all the debris underneath of where they cut it, <laughs> cut it away. But they cut the hole right where Jesus was sitting. And so can you just imagine as they're just like cutting it away and all this debris falls like on Jesus's luscious locks, you know, like, and he's just doing this and his royal robes, like, <laughs> anyway. Uh, but can you just imagine, but their plan works, right? Jesus has Joe right in front of him. And instead of noticing all the mess and being irritated, he doesn't notice the mess. He notices their faith, right? It says this, seeing their faith, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. My child, your sins are forgiven. And what a tender moment Jesus has. It's like everyone else is gone. My child, your sins are forgiven. But the four, four men are like, huh? <laughs> this is not what we were expecting. We, we wanted the healing. You know, we wanted the healing. But, but truly, at this moment, Jesus is being Jesus, right? And Jesus is the ultimate hero. He knows what's up. And he's juggling everything in the room right now, right? He's going to make sure that Joe gets his healing. But he's also going to shut the door on those religious people in the room. And so this is what happens. Um, starting from verse 6. Some of the teachers of religious law who are sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? Psh, this is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Why? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers and they were all amazed. Praise God exclaiming, they've never seen anything like this before. They've never seen anything like this before. See, Jesus had always intended to heal Joe physically right? But he knew that his greatest need was forgiveness of sins. So he's going to address that first. My child, face to face, eye to eye, your sins are forgiven. My child, your sins are forgiven, right? And in this same way, he takes this opportunity to shut down those religious people in that room, right? This is our Jesus. He is the ultimate hero, right? But I do want to get back to those four friends because to me, they are the unsung heroes, right? They are like the pre-heroes before our ultimate hero because if it weren't for those four men, Joe would have never had this encounter with Jesus. 
If it weren't those, for those four men, Joe couldn't have got himself into that room, right? It had everything to do with these four men, his friends. And so we don't know a lot about these four men, but this is what we do know, right? They were committed to Joe, right? Their actions revealed their love. They were committed, right? The second thing, they were full of faith in Jesus. They were full of faith. And their faith moved and pleased the heart of God, right? The third thing we know about them is they were tenacious. They were tenacious. They were not, they would not be deterred by any setbacks. They weren't deterred by the crowds, the, the, way, the blockages to the door. No, they, love turns a dead end into a different door, right? And that's what they did. That's what those guys did, right? And this is what we can also assume about these four men, okay? This is the first thing. They were probably not perfect, right? They were probably not perfect. Uh, they strike me as a pretty stubborn bunch, uh, you know, stubbornness and tenacity are like close cousins and, you know, stubbornness has its ups and downs, right? They were probably not perfect. And then the second thing, they're probably a little bit embarrassing, you know, <laughs> they're probably an embarrassing crew. I mean, these are the types of the guys that would make a scene that would be remembered for all of eternity, right? So maybe a little bit embarrassing. The third thing, they're rule breakers. And some of us like me, I, I really can't stand to break the rules except for I'm wearing mask. Okay. But, um, but they but they were rule breakers, right? They were rule breakers. And for some of us, that's like, no, we can never break the rules. Right. And then the fourth thing that I want to say is that, you know what, through their friendship, they changed Joe's life forever. And honestly, their lives were probably changed forever. Right. Um, so my main point for today is this jump into Christ-centered community. Say it with me. Jump into Christ-centered community. We were made for community. We were made for community. We are better together than we are separate and alone, right? Is there any doubt about that? I mean, community is what we were made for. Human connections are what our lives are made of. I mean, especially after the last year, we are all so starved. We're so hungry for human interaction, for face-to-face -face connection, for laughing, hugging, like being together. That's what we're made for. But I wanna say, jump into Christ-centered community because we can make community around a lot of different things. You can make community around football, you can make community around your dogs, you know, you can make community around uh, work, and those things are not bad. You know, those things are good because we need all kinds of community. But I want to say, don't forget to jump into Christ-centered community. There's this guy, uh, Jim Rohn, once he said this, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And that is the truth. You are the product of your community. You are the product of your community. Hang out with materialistic people. Guess what? You're going to become materialistic, right? A community is a soil that you grow in, right? Uh, Tim Sanders, he's a former bigwig at Yahoo. He said this, your network is your net worth, right? This is a business guy. And he says, your network is your net worth. The people around you are your net worth, right? Because that's how valuable community is. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, 
right? This is scripture and this is truth, right? And you'll start to mirror all the habits of the people around you. That's just how it works in our lives. Um, and to build your faith, you got to spend time with people who are living with powerful faith, right? You got to spend time with people who are going to sharpen you. And um, I'll use myself as, a, as an example. Oh, sorry. Here I am preaching, but guess what? I've been married to John for 19 and a half years. So for 19 and a half years, I've seen him sermonizing, preparing for sermons, like helping him with sermons on the side. I mean, is it a surprise? I mean, it was inevitable that I would end up preaching too, right? <laughs> because you become like who you hang out with, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, I want to just ask you about your closest friends right now. Maybe you can start to think about, hmm, who are my closest friends? And let's be honest. Sometimes your community will empower your addictions your dysfunctions, and all kinds of nasty junk in your life. Because 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, bad company corrupts good character, right? You guys even know it. Bad company corrupts good character. So we got to make sure that our closest friends are sharpening us, right? So who in your community is making you better? Right? Who in your community is going hard after Jesus, right? Who in your community is living with just raw faith? And maybe when I ask you about who is your community, you're saying, no, I don't have community. I'm a loner. It's me and Jesus. Jesus and me, me and Jesus. And that's good enough for me. And I'll tell you, no, that is not how it was meant to be. Romans 12, four through five says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other, right? So it was never meant to be you and Jesus. It was meant to be you and Jesus and his church, right? His people. And so, and maybe when I ask you about your community, you're thinking, oh, I have tons of people. I have this person, that person, this person, that person. But your connections are like this deep, right? Because all you do is talk about what you did on the weekend and like how the weather is, right? And that's not going to work for you when you're going through a really hard time. It's just not going to work for you. Jump into Christ-centered community. Remember Joe and his friends, right? Joe and his friends. Who's going to carry you in hard times? And who are you carrying right now, right? Because community is mutual, it's mutual. It's about giving to one another, testifying, encouraging one another, building faith, you know, holding each other accountable, right? But it's also receiving back those th same things for yourself. And the beauty of community is this. You get to choose who you do life with. Amen. You, you get to choose who you, did who you do life with. You might not get to choose what happens to you in life but you get to choose who you do life with, who you go through these things with, right? And I know when my community is strong, I can get through anything, right? I can get through anything. And I'm gonna use a terrible example, but it's like me and exercise, okay? I don't like to exercise. But sometimes I'll turn on my Apple TV and I'll turn on my app, like the Fit On app or whatever app, right? And I'll turn on these like videos, but I can't seem to push myself when it's just me and the TV, 
right? And then sometimes I'll do it, but then sometimes I'll just get on my phone and like it's still going and I'll be on my phone, <laughs> you know? But okay, if I go to a class, like a group fitness class, like Zumba class or like a, or a cardio fit class or whatever strength training class, like I will be able to do the whole 60 minutes or whatever it is. And I, I might even lose track of time because I'm so motivated by the people in the room. Like, dude, that girl's muscles are like intense or look at those thighs. Like, you know, and I'll like, okay, I'll do the squat, you know, like, or whatever, because I'm motivated, I'm inspired. I'm held accountable by the other people in the room. Um, and take my other friend, uh, Irene, for example, you know, she's going through breast cancer right now. If she needed to go through that alone, she'd probably lose all hope. That's rough. That is just so difficult. And she hasn't been able to choose what she's going through, but she has all these people in her life who are praying for her, encouraging her, sending her scripture, uh, sending her meals. I mean, I just talked to Aaron outside before service. He says, wow, it's really been amazing, the, the outpouring of love from our community. It's, it's been amazing, right? Community can heal you. Yes, Hebrews 10, 24 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day coming. We have this terrible, terrible epidemic of loneliness it's so bad. It's so bad. We're more connected digitally than we've ever been, but the loneliness is worse than it's ever been, right? And loneliness is the worst. It's the worst. Did you know that loneliness is like, um, it's equal to having 15 cigarettes a day. That's how bad it is for your health, right? Loneliness is linked to higher heart disease, stroke. I mean, it's so bad for you but we have no excuses. We are powerful to create community. Can you say that with me? We are powerful to create community. That means you, put yourself out there. I wanna encourage you, put yourself out there. Jump into community. You have things to offer and you also have areas to grow. You know, John and I, we um, got to go to Phoenix this week. We got to spend time with this um, older man named Bill Thrall. He was a pastor for years and, and now he's doing a lot of coaching. He's 81 years old. What a gem. I mean, so much wisdom in this guy, so much love. Um, some of you guys know um, I type really fast. I literally typed every word he said because he was just dropping wisdom. Like every word out of his mouth was wisdom. I was like, you know, like the whole time, um, because I want what he wants, right? I want that wisdom that was just naturally flowing from him. And he was sharing with us about how he grew up in a family of alcoholics. And it was really, really difficult for him to overcome all the pain um, from his childhood and to get into a place of being healthy. But this is what he said. He said, he did it with God and with his protectors. I'm like, huh? protectors, but that's what he calls his community. Those are his people, his protectors. He said, I can do all the things because of my protectors. And in turn, he is also protection to them too. And I know a lot of you guys know me as the prayer pastor. And 
I know some of you think that I just want to pray away your troubles. And I'm here to just set the record straight. That's not true, right? Some things, yes, I, I believe in prayer. I am the prayer pastor. <laughs> uh, and, but here's my perspective. perspective. Sometimes prayer will heal us. You know, sometimes spending, God, uh, spending time with God alone will heal us. But oftentimes, the healing will come through community. Amen. Yeah, the healing will come through community. It's the community that heals us. It's just like Joe with his four friends, my unsung heroes, the community, right? We are better together. We are made for one another. Even if you're experiencing hiccups, and struggles in your community, even those things are all part of it, right? Because those things refine us till we're mature, complete, lacking nothing, right? That's what scripture says. Um, so I wanna encourage you to jump into Christ-centered community. And practically what that looks like is simply join a small group, right? Put yourself out there, get to know some people, Host a small group. If you can't find a small group, tell whoever, Sharon, Daryl, I don't know, tell them that you'll host a small group, right? There are so many ways um, to develop community, but let people in and um, give yourself away to others too. Can we pray? Okay. As we pray, I want to just ask you guys, you can keep your eyes closed or whatever, but who of you are feeling convicted tonight about your need for Christ-centered community? If you could just raise a hand for me. Yeah, who's feeling convicted? Gosh, I need more Christ-centered community. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I see you. I want to pray for all of you. Thank you. Even behind the camera, I see you. <laughs> Jesus, I thank you that you are so gracious, that you don't see our mess you see our faith. You are so good to us. You are so loving. And you gave us your body as a gift. You gave us the beautiful body of Christ as a gift, your people. So Lord, help us, God, to jump into that Christ-centered community. Help us, Lord, to uh, humble ourselves, to expose ourselves, to ask for help, um, to invest in others. God, just we know that that's your design. We know this is what you want for us. Thank you, God, for Joe and his, his friends that are an example to us. Thank you, God, that friendship can change everything. Community can change everything for us. And so Holy Spirit, nudge us. Get us out of our isolation. Get us out of our just... I don't know, woe is me, place, selfishness, whatever it is, give us um, courage to get to know each other and to start to do life together. We know that this is what you want, God. So we say yes and amen to your ways and your plans. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 What a good word. What a good word. So in verse 5, there was this moment, right, where, where Jesus you got to picture it. It said that Jesus, seeing their faith, the faith of the community around the guy, he saw their faith. It wasn't even the one who needed the problem fixed. That it, He saw their faith. It is vital that we find ourselves in a community would have some faith for us. 
But it said, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to that man, your sins are forgiven. And, and this, this changes everything in any human story. The moment when Jesus looks at you to say, your sins are forgiven. Because from that moment on, you are free. You're free from guilt. You're free from shame. You're free from hiding. You're free from running away from God. And you're able to run right to him. And I think that there's probably somebody here tonight, you're a believer, but the truth is you're struggling right now because you've got this feeling of shame because of stuff. And I want you to have a moment with Jesus tonight. I want you to be able to have a moment where you can sense Jesus just looking right into your eyes and saying, my child, your sins are forgiven. And guess what? I, I hope he would see their faith. Meaning anybody else who's here who's just praying. We're all praying. And Jesus is moving in response to the faith of this whole community. And he's looking at somebody right now. And I want you to hear this as like a word from God. And it's his word directly to you. Your sins are forgiven. And that's for you. You're a believer. But I'm reminding you of the truth of the gospel. You never got set free because you did it all right. You got set free because you turned to Jesus. And so for somebody tonight, it's time to turn back to Jesus. He's still willing to pronounce his mercy and grace over your life. Never give in to the lie that you, you, you were depending on yourself to be right with God. You're depending on Jesus to be right with God. And I want you to just say it tonight. Just say it with me. I'm depending on Jesus. Say it. I'm depending on Jesus to be right with God. Yeah. Let's all say it together. I'm depending on Jesus to be right with God. And so what that means is for somebody, you get to receive the words of Jesus tonight. Again, my child, because that is who you are. My child, my beloved daughter, my cherished son, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, those ones. The ones that you were just going, oh, I hope nobody knows. That one, those two. And by the way, he is able to move you in the course of your life into greater realms of freedom from that sin. He absolutely is. But the key for that experience is turning to him. Turning to him. Again, turning to him. And hearing him call you, my child. When you can hear Jesus calling you, my child, things are set right. And so for somebody who is a believer right now, I'm reminding you of this truth. He sees you as his child and his word to you is, my child, you belong to him. Your sins are forgiven. Now for somebody else, I want you to hear this maybe because this is new for you and you just kind of come to church service or you've jumped online with us and here you are. This is a moment that you need to recognize that Jesus is willing to speak into your life to say, my child, your sins are forgiven, but you need to turn to him so you can hear him say that to you. And so if you're with me tonight and you would say, this is all new for me, can I just share with you the essence of it all, the, the basics of it all, the foundation of it all? It's this. It's forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. I mean, for every one of us who would say whatever else we've got going on with God, it all starts here with just knowing I'm forgiven because of what Jesus has done. And so for somebody, I want you to hear this loud and clear. There's a way for you to be forgiven of your sins. And it comes through turning to Jesus Christ. And if you've never done it, I want to invite you to do it. 
And I, I want this group of us tonight to be kind of like the ones who are lowering you down right in front of Jesus. That's what this moment is for somebody. It's a moment where you're getting lowered down right in front of the presence of Jesus. And would you just look to him and you just say to him in a moment while we're praying, Jesus, would you forgive me? And his words to you are, my child, your sins are forgiven when you turn to him. And so for somebody, this is a a first time, kind of an awakening moment for you. And I'm praying that it would be just that. And what you're called to do in this moment is to repent and turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. So I want to pray with you and let's pray that God would do something for somebody right now to bring a spiritual awakening. Father, I'm asking for uh, you to see our faith. Those of us who just believe God that you could do anything and you, you could set a sinner free and you could give the gift of salvation and you could bring revival and everything in between. And so Lord, would you see our faith? in this moment. And I pray, Father, for somebody to experience a spiritual awakening right here and right now. So while we're praying together, uh, if you're here and you would say, I have no idea where I stand with God. There is a way to have a right standing with God. And it doesn't come from you finally being perfect or getting it all together. It comes from Jesus Christ and Him alone. The grace of God is the foundation for every other good thing you could ever experience. And so, I mean, for any of us that would say I'm a Christian, all that means is we finally one day said, I admit it. I cannot fix myself. I need to be forgiven. And that gift's available. So while we're praying together, if you would say, I want that gift. I want to ask Jesus to forgive my sins and save my life. If you would earnestly from your heart say, I get it. I need Jesus. I need to ask him to forgive me. I cannot fix it myself. If you're ready to admit you need Jesus to forgive you and save you right now, would you just raise your hand up really high so that I can see you and keep it up for a moment. Raise your hand up. This is you finally saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I need to ask for the gift of the forgiveness of my sins. And if you're joining me online, just type it into the comments and write in there, I am asking Jesus to forgive me and save me. And with your hand raised up or as you're typing in the comments, pray with me for a moment and just simply say, Jesus, I'm turning to you now. I'm turning from my sin and turning to you for your grace, gift of salvation. Jesus, would you forgive me and save me? Jesus, would you be the Lord and Savior of my life? And just say it to him, Jesus Christ, I believe that you paid the price for my sin when you died on the cross and that you conquered death and you're alive. And so I'm asking you to come into my life and from this day forward, be my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, we all pray. And everyone together, we say, amen. And listen, if you just said yes to Jesus, our team is going to be looking for you. We want to give you a Bible and help you get connected to grow in this church family. And if you're online, make sure you click on the link that will be in the comments. And before we worship together one more time, I want to say something. We're, we're enjoying a unique experience right now, especially if you are on our Centerpoint Church campus. Uh, This is the last weekend that we are going to be uh, experiencing our worship gathering together in venue two on the patio over here. It's a big deal. So practically speaking, next weekend we are going to be in 
Venue One Worship Center. And, and, and for a year, we've been looking forward to this. We didn't know that <laughs> all that happened was going to happen, but here, here we are. But here's what I want to do. I just want to, before we, before we embrace and celebrate the goodness of God in the renovation of Venue One, I also want us to thank God and worship God and celebrate God for His goodness and how He's met us uniquely right over here in this amazing blessing of church on the patio, church with the roll-up garage doors, church in different locations. Hallelujah! Come on, God's been so good to us. And in a few in a few hours, I mean, next week, gosh, we'll be in the in the, you know these nice cushioned seats over there and whatnot. But let's never forget how special it was when we were dripping sweat in the 110 degree weather, when we were freezing our butts off in the snow, almost come on, almost over in in this area. It, God's been so good to allow us to experience His nearness and even give us the gift of experiencing a little tiny bit of discomfort along the way, to prove us a bit. So uh, tonight we're doing an open house, or to, uh, after the service today, we're doing an op- open house of venue one. And I want, you to, I want you to walk into that space after we conclude the service and walk around, check it out, give the seats a try, sure. But I want you to make sure to take, take 60 seconds and take 10 deep breaths and kind of just get your heart used to that other space so that next week when you come in there, it isn't jarring. It's like, okay, this is... This is a good space for me. But one last time, let's just take a moment and say, thank you, God, for what you've done here. Just say it with me. (laughs) Thank you, God, for what you've done here. One more time, just say it to him. Thank you, God, for what you've done here. Lord, we give you glory. And we give you, God, praise because you are worthy. And whether we were over here or whether we're in the Venue One Worship Center or whether we're on the patio or the parking lot or whether we're uh, walking the trails and experiencing fellowship, God, you're the one who we find our greatest place of security and safety in. You're the one, Lord. And so we give you praise, Father. We give you praise, Lord. We declare your goodness together. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you all stand up? Let's stand up and and worship. And at the end of the service, we'll, we'll start the open house across the campus.